Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, and this is Natural Election, a podcast from Ozarks at Large and KUAF, all about elections in Arkansas. Throughout this series, we'll examine what it takes to vote in the natural state for the primary election on today, May 24th. So far, we've covered how to register to vote, barriers to voting, Arkansas's low voter turnout, and new voting laws in place. Now, in this episode, we're going to hear from voters themselves and how the experience compared. I'm joined by Rachel Sanchez-Smith. Rachel, according to the Secretary of State, roughly 155,000 Arkansans have voted early as of Saturday, including 10,000 in Washington County alone. Now, you spent some time yesterday at the courthouse in Fayetteville. Set the scene for what the final day of early voting looked like. You know, Matthew, it was jam-packed. I went to the polls around noon and stayed for an hour or so. I saw all kinds of demographics of voters, which is pretty exciting to see. When I first got there, voters were waiting for a while. Some even say that they were waiting for an hour or more. But even those who had left because the lines were too jam-packed, Bottom line is, even the voters who left said that they would be back because they knew how important it was for their voice to be heard. The last day for Arkansans to vote early was Monday, May 23rd. On the gloomy and rainy afternoon outside of the Washington County Courthouse, voters headed to the polls to ensure that their ballot was counted. While a few voters were discouraged by the line, to come back that's a little too overwhelming for me i should have early voted because that is stressful but i will vote you will vote all right line was long because i need to vote (laughs) if the line were longer would you still go and vote um they kind of hide it from you so you don't know it's really long till you're there then you're like well i'm here so The majority stayed and emerged from the courthouse with I voted stickers in hand or on their clothes. Sarah Hardin and Mac Adams said that they waited for quite a while in line, but were determined to cast their ballot. Do you guys usually go out and vote or is this a one time occurrence? Oh, no, no, we always vote. (laughs) Was the line long in there? I heard from a couple of Very bad. Uh, It took us an hour, longer. 11.45, yes. Was it worth it? Oh, yes. yes. If the line were longer, would you still go? Yes. <laughs> why, why would you still go? Mm-hmm. Well, that's democracy. All kinds of voters emerge, some single, others in groups, and some who have been voting for decades, while others are new to the process. First, Kara Price, who registered to vote for the first time earlier this year. Um, this is my first time voting. I just turned 18 in January. I just kind of wanted to get a feel for the election process. Were you nervous going in? A little. A little. How do you feel coming out of it? I feel good. I feel yeah. good. Would you do it again? I would, <laughs> definitely. I'll be back in November. As opposed to first-time voter Kara Price, Monica, Clarissa, and Terry Fuller, however, said that they are longtime voters and stressed its importance. We just needed to participate in it. We always vote when, when, when it's vote time. Uh-huh. Today was probably the busiest that I've seen, like, yeah. ever. It's so, smooth, mm-hmm. yeah. It's just, you know, it's, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's a line, but it's, it's, it's very smooth once you're in there. So. Yeah. Is it worth it to wait in the line yeah. to, to go and, yeah. and vote? Mm-hmm. Well, voting's very important. Right. Yeah, I know. We had to wait. If I had to wait an hour, I would wait. <laughs> Much like the Fuller family, Amanda Carson also votes regularly and was even accompanied by her four-year-old during the process. 
do you feel like your vote matters in the state and local elections and stuff? Yes, yes. very much so. Why is that so? Because I think we're, everyone can vote, so I think we should. <laughs> and for the little one? <laughs> yes. What, what is the experience you think like for her? <laughs> oh, she did. She paid attention pretty well. She really? wasn't too wild <laughs> for a four-year-old. As opposed to Amanda, a self-described more apolitical voter, I spoke to a politician at the polls, Sonia Harvey, Fayetteville City Council member, who similarly to the last voter we heard from, notes the importance and the critical decisions that voting impacts. Why is it important for people to come out and, and cast their ballot and have their voice be heard? Oh, very important. The big if, one. <laughs> if anybody cares about where money is spent, then you should get to vote. Yes. Go vote. If you, if you want to see money invested in your community the way that you want it to be invested, then research and then figure out how people like to spend money. And that's who you need to vote for. Another couple that was fresh out of the booth shared the sentiment. The stakes for each election are too high not to engage. If we want any influence at all, we have to vote. Right. So um, we um, we like being part of the process. I think it's a it's a duty and an honor uh, that we've earned as a democracy to be able to have the choice to vote. Mm-hmm. And if we don't vote, then we are throwing that away. Was that line pretty long in there? Yeah. I was hearing from some people earlier yeah. that it was longer. It wasn't well, terrible, like but it was longer than I expected. Minutes. 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't long. That's no. not bad. No. If it were longer, would you still come and vote? Oh, yeah. I'd, oh, yeah. I'd be here three hours later if yeah. I had to, yeah. Reporting from the Washington County Courthouse in Fayetteville, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. So by now, you probably understand voting and the election process can be a little bit convoluted. And as we've explored throughout this series, voting is a right that a lot of us can take for granted. But for immigrants who go through complex documentation, bureaucracy, and citizenship tests just to become an American, voting is often an important milestone. Lamin Mbarak and Hannah Lee both work for Canopy of Northwest Arkansas, a refugee resettlement agency based in Fayetteville. They help place refugees and other migrants in the community, often navigating legal issues, work placement, a new culture, and even the road to citizenship. So uh, naturalization basically for a refugee means that uh, it's, it's like the last big immigration benefit that uh, an immigrant can apply to. So it means for a refugee after they arrive here uh, through our resettlement agency, they spend uh, five years in the U.S. and then they become eligible for citizenship. For our own refugee clients, it's uh, five years for adults. And if they have kids that were born outside, the kids can acquire citizenship based on their parents. One of the biggest things that you could acquire or you could you know, gain after becoming a citizen is having the right to vote. So I started that conversation with our clients at that moment, and we emphasize the role of voting and how that can change a lot of policies that um, pertain to, to that client and to the community uh, in general. 
And Lee says a lot of people have misconceptions about how refugee resettlement actually works. When folks come to the United States through the refugee resettlement process, they do not come in as citizens. Um, You know, that's a question that we get a lot. Do folks come in as citizens? Do they come in able to vote right off the bat? No, they don't. Um, Like Lamine mentioned, that's a five-year process. It's a really excellent pathway to citizenship, but there's still a lot of um, technicalities. It's really difficult to walk through it, and that's where Lamine um, and his program comes in to really walk alongside folks to, uh, you know, get their citizenship. Canopy launched its services five years ago, and now, Lee says, many of the initial refugees Canopy resettled will soon be eligible to apply for citizenship. And so, you know, Canopy, as a refugee resettlement agency, we celebrated our fifth anniversary this past December. And so, you know, we, we're hitting that five-year mark where we will start seeing some of the folks, the families that we've resettled, Um, start applying for their citizenship now. As far as voting resources, you know, that's something that Canopy will start piloting really um, for our community. Specifically when I say our community, I mean our new neighbors that we help resettle here. Because like I mentioned, we're just now starting to see that happen, which is exciting. And while Mbarak says even after attaining citizenship, there are barriers that can keep people from voting, But for many, having gone through a rigorous process often makes naturalized citizens even more engaged in the democratic process. I mean, technically, one good aspect of applying for naturalization or citizenship is that the client needs to have uh, a certain level of English proficiency. And um, speaking of that also, there is a a big element of the naturalization process, which is the civics test. So every client, uh, they have to uh, take some tests. And and so in the civic test, applicants uh, get asked some questions on American history and areas like voting and involve also knowing your state senators and knowing some like a lot of the political aspects and knowing, for example, the uh, divisions of the American government here. So all of these uh, different aspects of the American political uh, environment. And so that way, as soon as they get their citizenship, they are already um, having an idea on what voting may look like. And Lee says refugees in particular can have a stronger sense of civic duty and what it means to have the right to vote. Just by way of, of you know, being a refugee, being an asylee, um, you know, fleeing your country, the reason behind that um, tends to be, you know, persecution and a well-founded fear based on, you know, the, that persecution. And one of them being political opinion, you know, nationality, religion, right? So that persecution more times than not happens from the government or folks who are in power. And so in those circumstances, when we're talking about refugees, for example, their voices and their power are dismantled and stripped away by their very government a lot of times. And so when they come to the United States and then, you know, become citizens, then they're able to be a part of our democracy. And so for many of them, that's very, very important. 
and being able to have a voice in the government and and to have a say and to have the, the freedom to defend their rights because they're coming from places where that was not possible. And in some cases, that is why they had to leave. And they both say elections can tend to draw out stereotypes about immigrants and refugees, often played up for political cachet. But Mbarak wants people to understand that immigrants are not a monolith, and he hopes people will remember that immigration is fundamental to America's identity. This country was always based on immigrants and on people coming from all over the world. I think that's what's unique about the USA. And, you know, it's the land of opportunities and it's uh, a place where someone can be uh, from a different culture, from a different uh, skin color or from any speak any language, but they can arrive here, flourish and participate in this overall um, very diverse environment. For more information on the naturalization process and resources, visit the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services website. That's USCIS.gov. And to learn more about Canopy's work, search Canopy NWA on Facebook. Recently, we heard from one Fort Smith voter about her experience participating in this year's primary election. Last week, Sylvia Tran went with her mother, Hui To, to vote for the second time since becoming a U.S. citizen almost 35 years ago. Tran's parents came to Arkansas from Vietnam in the late 1970s after the fall of Saigon. While many Vietnamese refugees later moved out of state, the city is still home to some 6,000 Vietnamese Americans, according to data from the U.S. Census Bureau. Tran spoke with her mother after they voted and shared some of their conversation and reflections with us. Hi, I'm Sylvia Tran. I am from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Um, this is actually my first time even voting in the Arkansas primaries. Um, I've been living out of state for a while, and so this is kind of one of the few times in my adult life just being able to vote to vote for a state election. And so in terms of me being politically active, um, we talk about it a lot. I voted in the main presidential election, but in terms of all the topics and things going on in the world, we talk about that a lot as a family, about what's going on. My mom's uh, sort of a news junkie, so we're always discussing everything that's going on in the world. But my mom wasn't really motivated, or my parents really weren't really motivated to participate um, in voting until the 2020 election. Okay, so why was it important for you to participate? I have been a citizen for the past 35 years, but I haven't voted before because I thought that my vote doesn't count much in any election until 2020 election started my to my encouragement of my two adult children and I think it's a very important election I start participating and I will start voting in any election from now on and that was due to a lot of conversations we were having in the house about everything going on at that time did you feel prepared about the ballot yes I did 
why why did you feel or why do you say you feel prepared or um, you felt prepared i watched the news and all the um, commercial from the candidates and then uh, with my daughter helping me research and we discussed more about the candidates which is a really really proud moment for my sister and i um i mean they've been citizens they're they are immigrants from vietnam and uh, refugees from vietnam and It was just a really proud moment for all of us, given that they're refugees. They've been citizens for most of their life, American citizens. And to finally actually participate in that way was really a really proud moment. And so this was then also, too, my parents' first time voting in the Arkansas primaries. Um, again, given just everything going on right now in the world and in the state and who are looking at as candidates, just a lot of conversation going on really motivated them to participate again with the local elections. You know, I can't say my family's unique in any way. I'm sure there's other immigrant families with second generation, um, you know, kids also speaking to their parents about things going on in the world. Um, we are very lucky in that all of us kind of align politically as well. So it hasn't really created tension necessarily uh, when it comes to those conversations. But it is it is nice to hear that my sister and I, you know, helped uh, in a lot of the way to to encourage them to actually go participate. And I think they've been wanting to do that for a long time. I think you know one of the the largest issues is just the language barrier and just not really understanding the process. Okay, what are the barriers for the Vietnamese community when it comes to voting? The main barrier is the language and the speaking and writing part. So what would make it easier if there was a language barrier? If we have an interpreter or the person that speaks the same language guide us through the whole process, you know, it would be much easier. You know, just just the simple act of like, well, where do I even go to like vote? And how does voting even work? Is it on a piece of paper? Is it through a computer, you know? And are they even tech savvy, which my parents are not, you know? And like just needing guidance then if they wanted to participate, how does all that work? And so it's not just about discussing what's going on in the world and getting them motivated in that way. It's then talking about, okay, well, how do we actually get this done? Then how do we actually make sure your voices get heard? And, you know, my sister and I helping to guide them do that then because there isn't anybody else who could do that. I think we're missing on a huge population of immigrant families and minorities in this country who may want to be active, who may not necessarily have an outlet to discuss or learn more about what's going on politically, and then to find out then if they wanted to participate, how to even do that due to, again, mainly being a language barrier. Um, so it would be great, like in you know much of the larger cities around the country, being able to provide resources to kind of help alleviate some of those barriers and get more immigrant families to the polls.
You've been listening to Natural Election, a podcast production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF Public Radio. This show is co-hosted by Rachel Sanchez-Smith and Daniel Carruth. I'm Matthew Moore. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon in your feed to discuss some of the results from the primary election and more. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.